and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Children of Men. Children of Men was written by P.D. James and published in 1992. And the film adaptation, which came out in 2006, was directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Fun fact, this is our 49th episode. So yes. not technically our 49th episode in total, but our 49th book-to-movie adaptation episode. Yeah. yep. So in honor of getting to 50, mm-hmm. we are doing some top favorites for both me and Ian. Yes, and Children of Men has long been one of my top three favorite movies. I still hesitate to say it is my favorite. Yeah. But honestly, if I had to choose one, I think I I would pick Children of Men. This is, I remember watching this with you when we first started dating. Really? Was it that, was it like that long ago? It wasn't super early, but I remember you just being like, oh, you have to watch this movie, you know, in that stage when you're like first dating. Yeah, you want to share things. Sharing like stuff that you guys like that you like and I'm sharing stuff that I like. Yeah. And and I, I can't, I'm trying to remember when I first watched this movie. It was pretty early on when I started getting into movies in general. Yeah. And it kind of had a big impact on me in that way because it was just a really like ambitious and personable and interesting and exciting movie that just kind of like hit so many marks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was just really... I remember thinking how amazing it was at the time, and it really has stuck with me since then. It's also kind of relevant, too, because Alfonso Cuaron just won some awards for uh, Roma that came out this year. Yeah, he Mm -hmm. won Best Director for Roma and Best Cinematographer, because he was also the cinematographer for that. Yeah. And he won... I forget how many years ago. It was within the last five years for Gravity. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's... He's prolific. He is. And he also directed the third Harry Potter movie. Yes. Which many people regard as the best one. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I would say that, but it's certainly... It's definitely the one that changed the way the movies were made. And it really stands off on its own for having a a distinct style. Yeah. And a lot of... um, I don't know. Alfonso Cuaron still brought a lot of his signature style to it yes. I think which is which is very important mm-hmm. um I have to say I, I haven't loved his most recent movies as much as his earlier movies yeah there's still a lot of good things going on with them mm-hmm. and it's like they seem like movies I would really love but there's always things about them that are kind of like not quite connecting with me yeah that on the level that children of men has mm-hmm. which I will be telling you all about <laughs> this episode yes Don't get me started. (laughs) Or do get me started. Yes, let's get started. (laughs) (laughs) So the book takes place in the year 2027. The movie. God damn it. I'm already already screwing up. I am so sorry. (laughs) Uh, The movie, excuse me, the movie takes place in the year 2027 Mm -hmm. in England. And it is a future where the human race has stopped being able to reproduce. Yeah. The... There's just infertility and nobody really knows why. Like people just stop having babies. And there's kind of this bit at the beginning where you see this ad on on TV. Nothing is really explained to you. You just kind of figure things out through context clues. But basically like because this has happened and this has been it's been about 18, 20 years since then. Yeah. 
the rest of the world has basically descended into chaos. Mm -hmm. There's been pandemics, there's been diseases, there's been uh, nuclear war, there's just been like total anarchy in the rest of the world. And the UK at least seems to be one of the few last vestiges of civilization where people can still live and go to work and kind of relative normalcy. Yeah. Um, while the rest of the world is basically in apocalyptic chaos. Yeah. But you still get a lot of glimpses of the despair that's going on. Yeah. Through like immigrants locked up in cages and everything. Like it's still there at the forefront. Like, oh, yeah. England isn't like totally removed from it. No. Uh, but I think this is a really interesting idea, though, because... There were kind of diseases and stuff and flus that kind of like, like you said, wrecked some havoc. Yeah. But really, it's just the fact that there's like no hope in the future. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just like the power of that just causing civilization to crumble is so interesting. I mean, this is a common theme. You think about The Handmaid's Tale. Mm -hmm. And while in The Handmaid's Tale, like children are still being born, but infertility is like a catalyst for power dynamics and shifts. And in this case, you know, what would it be like if suddenly no children were being born anymore? Like anarchy would happen because people would be like, fuck it. You know, like there's nothing to live for. Yeah. Uh, When the movie starts off, I think it does a really smart thing. And and this was pulled from the book that uh, the youngest person on Earth, yeah, who was, or recorded like birth on Earth, baby Diego, baby Diego <laughs> has died, yeah, and it's it's like being played on the news in a coffee shop that our main character Theo, played by Clive Owen, mm-hmm. walks into, and like the country's like mourning his death, yeah. But it's a really smart way to start the movie because you get a lot of understanding of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Something I appreciate about this movie is it doesn't start off with like a title crawl explaining. Uh, what's going on in the world. No. It just uses a lot of smart um, storytelling mechanics. This is one of those movies that the more you watch it, the more you catch. Yeah. Like there's so many little clues and throwaway lines and just things that are in there. And it is a very rich film, Um, but it doesn't spoon feed you. So, you know, if you miss something, like you might not get a complete picture, but you still get, you know, the good movie. There's just yeah. like more to glean from like each watching. Yeah. I still pick up things that I really wasn't picking up at the beginning of the first time I watched it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is, is really good. But you, like you said, you can still enjoy it without picking everything up. So yeah. uh, this is a really interesting way to start the movie, though, because it, it, it establishes a lot. Uh, Theo walks into this coffee shop reverence morning. He does not care. He walks past. He does past. not care about Baby Diego. He does not. He gets his coffee and he leaves. Yeah. Which is good because in one of the many long take shots of this film, we watch him buy his coffee. He walks out of the coffee shop. The camera's following. And as he's like stopped on the street corner putting uh, alcohol in his coffee, the camera pans around and the coffee shop explodes. Yeah. In a really violent explosion mm-hmm. that is just like a, a terrorist bombing. A terrorist bombing, yeah. yeah. And we catch a brief glimpse of like a woman walking out of it with like her arm gone and it's like screaming. Yeah. And it, it's just a really startling way and it really puts you in this world of like it's really dangerous and really. And then it's like dirty. title credits. Yeah. Children of men. Children of men. <laughs> <laughs> Dramatic. Yeah. So. After that, though, we kind of like continue to learn more about Theo Mm -hmm. in this world. He works for some kind of government department of like energy or something. But essentially, he's kind of just 
totally disillusioned with the world like many people are. He's just existing. Yeah. He's not, you know, depressed enough to kill himself, which we hear about this option for people where they can kill themselves and it's advertised on TV. It's yes. called the uh, quietus and you, you can just take these pills basically. And it's like advertised like uh, a medication. Yeah. You know, like cheesy B roll of like a guy on a beach. And yeah. it's, it's kind of funny in like a satirical way, the way they do that. Yeah. But also so dark. Mm-hmm. And, and he's an alcoholic at this point, basically kind of just yeah. existing through his life. Mm hmm. Uh, then, but he, he does have a, a glimmer of light in his life. Yes. Which is Jasper, AKA Michael Caine, AKA John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. One of Michael Caine's best performances in my mind. Mm-hmm. He, he plays a man living in the woods, yeah. growing pot and selling it and mm-hmm. just being listening to music, drawing. He has a wife, he's elderly and he has a wife who seems to be, um, having some kind of physical or mental disability. I'm guessing she had some kind of illness or something that... I think what it was was you see on... Um, it could be that, I'm not sure, but they also show an article on their bulletin board talking about a photojournalist who was, like, tortured. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Another it, little detail. Another, yeah, because it's yeah. just, like, they're showing his cartoons on the wall and everything. I knew she was a photojournalist. Yeah, yeah, I think there was a thing about her being, like, tortured from for, like, a, I, I forget, some kind of, like, act, like political activist wow. thing. Or, yeah. So. Either way, she doesn't seem to respond. No. Um, she, like, but he takes care of her. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he just has this like beautiful art, eclectic house <laughs> in the woods. It's got a dog and a cat oh, and like comfy couches and Theo can just come visit and kind of relax. You can see him visibly like, la- like laugh a bit. He just feels like things are a little bit lighter for him. When yeah. He's there. And Jasper clearly cares about him. He tells yeah. him again, like. You can always live out here with mm-hmm. us. And Theo says, like, well, then what would I have to look forward to? Yeah. Uh, but this this part and this aspect of Theo is very important, I think, to the movie, because that premise of him being like, oh, this disillusioned man in a future with no hope. Yeah. On the surface is very stereotypical. cliche and yeah. stereotypical and could just be very boring. But, but we get this glimmer. Yeah. But seeing this humanity life. in him yeah. and that he does have fun and can laugh and like can have some joy in his life human connection as well and we get a hint about like maybe his past was different and Mm -hmm. etc and it's it's sweet to see him with jasper yeah we also get some more i I think the way this movie works in exposition is very smart there's a part where jasper starts talking and he says so the human project is having this dinner yeah. with a bunch of people and Theo immediately cuts in. He's like, oh, the human project. Like, yeah. that's such bullshit. There's no secret organization helping to make humanity fertile again and blah, uh-huh. blah, blah. And he's like, humanity died when and he just kind of goes on this whole tangent. Yeah. And then Jasper's like, I was just trying to tell a joke, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tells a joke about like storks and whatever. Yeah. But, but just like it gives you the information. Yeah. Theo cutting in like that. It tells you about Theo's perspective. Yeah. On the world. But it also gives you that information that there might be this organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just like there's a lot of that kind of uh, storytelling in this movie. Smart storytelling. Yes. Where you're not just expositioning. You are 
using that as a character moment as well. Exactly. So mm-hmm. this script from the beginning is just very intelligent in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, it's the script is solid and also the way this movie's made is solid. Mm-hmm. And I'll hold back my gushing <laughs> until we get a little bit farther. <laughs> yeah. Um. So around this time, so Theo visits with Jasper and then goes back to London where he lives and then he gets randomly kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems like it's like in the middle of like the street, the, the street and nobody in the middle cares. of the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe tells you a little bit more about this world that they live in. Yeah. But he finds out he's taken to like a location with a bag on his head mm-hmm. and discovers that it's his ex-wife. Yes. Who did it. <laughs> Her name is Julian and she's the head of this terrorist revolutionary type organization called the Fishes. Yes. And they are kind of opposing this regime that is in charge of England. And we don't get a lot of information about what the government is like in England. No. All we know, though, is that it's very heavily policed. It is a police state, pretty much. There are police everywhere, um, very strictly enforced in terms of border control. Yeah, immigration um, is Immigration, a big issue. deportations. And, you know, there's just this sense of, like, you could be arrested at any time and maybe detained. So maybe fascist government, um, things like that where you're overly policed, Soviet, you know, feeling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's such a... The the relationship between Theo and Julian is fantastic. Julian played by Julianne Moore. Yeah. Very, very well. Oh, man. I heard Alfonso Cuaron really wanted a woman who is like intelligent and like a capable leader and also but like warm and like mm-hmm. and she hits all She's those. She's great. She and Clive Owen have great chemistry. They in do. This. I really like them. And I like, too, that they are this older couple. Yeah. That has a shared history together and things are complicated, but there's still that spark between them. Yeah. And that's what I love about all their interactions. Like you can still tell that they care about each other and that there's chemistry and like rope, not quite romance, but there's just this definite spark between them. And they don't have a lot of screen time together, which is impressive that they're able to establish so much. Yeah. Uh, You find out, you kind of find this out intermittently throughout the movie kind of in spurts yeah but clive owen uh his character theo he used to be like a revolutionary like she was like she is now Mm -hmm. and that's kind of how they met they met during these rallies and stuff and you know fell in love and he was much more involved in that and then they ended up having a kid yeah but unfortunately it was like right at the time that the infertility began Mm -hmm. and i guess around this time also like a flu pandemic kind of spread through the world yeah and so they lost their child dylan mm-hmm. their son uh to this epidemic yeah and we can see the ways that they have processed this trauma mm-hmm. um theo has turned to drink and cigarettes and has kind of like given up on his faith in humanity and his faith in himself whereas julian has kind of committed herself to her work um thrown herself into this effort to you know, make the world a better place, overthrow this police state, you know, make sure the people are represented. Um, So two different ways of processing grief and it did drive them apart, which is why they separated. Yeah. And I also like that it shines more light on who Theo used to be. Yeah. And that he wasn't always just this kind of like boring, washed up, washed up kind of guy. And yeah, in fact, a character later says when she meets Theo, she's like, 
You said he was suave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But essentially, we find out from Julian wants Theo. He has a connection. He is a a relative who is running a government project called the Ark of the Arts. Yeah. And so he's kind of a a government higher up. Mm -hmm. And they want him to use that connection to get transport papers for a girl. Yeah. And that's like all the information he's given at this point. Mm -hmm. And they're going to pay him, too, because he's like, why would I do that? Yeah. You know, because at this point, he wouldn't do it for Julian necessarily. But like he can use the money as she knows. Yeah. So eventually he agrees to do this. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the book. (laughs) The book. Okay. So. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Where do we start? Okay. um, We're not going to hide our feelings about this book. This book was so boring. I cannot even describe to you how boring this book was. It was funny. I like looked up book review book reviews. Um, I tried to look up to see like what, um, you know, publications and publishers said about books when they came out originally. And they had some, I think I looked at publishers weekly and carcass and they're like, and they praised it. But in each review, they were like, uh, despite a very slow start, the book ends up being worth it. And I'm like, yeah, a uh, very slow start. A slow start into a meandering second yeah. half. Yeah. Like, it, it never really picks up at no. any point. No, uh, And a lot of the things that I love so much about the movie, the book has taken a totally different direction with it. Yeah. For let's ex- start with Theo. Yeah, let's let's start with Theo. Whole have revolutionary history and everything. No. Not, doesn't exist. Nope. Uh, he is... A college professor, college professor at Oxford in history, mm-hmm. and he's super boring now, and he's always been boring. Always been boring. He's also divorced, but his wife is not a cool, revolutionary, sexy, like empowered woman. No, she's just like, uh, oh yeah, I like remarried, and I'm like a housewife or whatever. Yeah, and he thinking back, he's like, you know, I married her because. She had the right, like, class status that I was looking for. Yeah, and, and she was, like, kind of pretty. But then also, like, not pretty, as he, like, yeah. says later. Yeah, He likes to talk about how people are pretty and not pretty a lot. The descriptions in this book are ludicrously long. Yeah. So, like, everything from, like, the locations to the people... Everything is just so long. Yeah. And we're told Theo's story at first only through diary entries. So he's writing in a diary and he is so pompous and annoying. Yeah. Describing all these diary entries. And then it kind of like switches to third person. Yeah, This was another thing that was just it felt so lazy and cheap. Yeah. Where it was like what PD. PD James. PD James. It's like she wanted to tell a third person story, but then was like, well, how can I tell the history in the most efficient way possible? I'll have him write a journal. Yeah. But then when all that backstory and like, of course, he only writes in the journal about things that happened in the past and that are also relevant to things coming up. Yeah. Like he talks about his cousin Zan Mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. Who, oh, ends up being a really important character. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and and then it kind of completely abandons the diary thing. Yeah, he stops writing in it by the end. Yeah. I'm like, what was the point of this? All the diary entries were the worst parts, honestly. And it also annoys me because, like, 
when you switching from a first person diary perspective to the third person, like, yeah, like limited perspective, like the writing style doesn't change. No, it's pretty much the same. The tone is maybe a little more pompous in the diaries. Yeah, but not much. (laughs) This gave birth to a theory of mine that when it switches to third person, it's actually just him writing in third person about himself because like <laughs> that's when like the action of the story begins yeah, yeah and so he's like oh but then like this mysterious woman shows up and like yeah uh, and then theo's like oh yeah i'll help I'll you write it like this <laughs> yeah that's my it's theory just to make his diary more interesting <laughs> yeah so he's like if someone will find this they'll think i was really cool <laughs> so he's divorced and he, for good reasons yeah and his Child is also dead, like in the movie, but unlike in the movie, Theo ran over his daughter mm-hmm. um, in the driveway, and that's how his kid died. Which, like, okay, sure, I, I get it, except... <laughs> <laughs> I understand why you would do that. <laughs> except he talks about how he never really loved her. Yeah. And maybe he would have liked her more if she was prettier. Like... That's literally what he says. It's an actual... Actual From the hero of our story. Yeah. That is a line we are given. And it's like, how can a two-year-old be pretty, you piece of shit? Yeah. And then he's like, oh, maybe my wife didn't love me because she blamed me for killing our child, even though I was the one that killed our child. And then also, I never loved her at all either so and also the child was more like her child and she should have been watching it closer oh yeah yeah (laughs) he's just so unlikable and like by the end he's talking about like oh how he's lived a life of regrets yeah i'm like it didn't sound like you regretted anything yeah you didn't regret it you were like oh well now i don't have to take care of these people so it's it's probably for the best yeah um so where are we at talked about theo uh, Zan. So essentially, he also in the book has a relative in government, but instead of just being like a, Some a bureaucratic bureaucrat. kind of guy, yeah, he is like the what do they call it? The warden of England. The warden of England, who it's like a new kind of supreme ruler in yeah. this post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. he has a council of like four other members that advise him, but he kind of has all the power. And a lot is talked about in this book about kind of what people will agree to in in order to have safety. Yeah. And that was this was one aspect of the book that I did like, kind of showing how when your world is threatened and there's like this these disasters and things that are terrifying, people will give more control to government sure. yeah. and to people who have power and who have ambition and who tell them that they can protect them in order to feel safe. And that's kind of like the motto of this government is uh, freedom from fear. And um, but of course, with all this power, there is abuse of power as well. Absolutely. And and yeah, the the story kind of like. It it poses some questions and then Zan at one point in the story gets to kind of like oppose those points of view. Yeah. And it does kind of give you almost like a balanced perspective in a way. Yeah. Um, I just don't think the story ever like does anything beyond that that's kind of interesting. Not really. At all. Yeah. So he and Zan grew up together, so they had like they have a close relationship and he talks about that. Um 
And he used to serve on the council with Zan. And then he just quit for some reason that they never explain. No. And like for even though Zan is an important character in a way, they don't actually have a lot of time in the book together. No. So we get a lot of backstory on a character who we don't see him interact with much. Yeah. Or really have much of a personal gain or like risk in the story if that makes sense yeah it, it just i don't know it's weird it feels he's like just, filler yeah he's just kind of like the villain exactly yeah and then he meets the book version of julian yes which is not his ex-wife not a sexy leader no. uh an empowered woman she is an old uh college student of his so she's like 27 28 yeah uh, by the way he is 50 yes and he's like wow she's hot she's literally literally that's all he talks about and that is basically his character motivation for the rest of the story yeah i don't know if we're supposed to think he is noble for thinking she's attractive because she has like a partially deformed arm like i'm like yeah what the heck what yeah (laughs) yeah uh uh (laughs) i don't know she approaches him at one point and is like I'm part of this resistance group. We're called the Five Fishes. We want you to meet with us. Like, please talk to us. Um, we need your help. Blah blah blah. Because they know he is the cousins with the warden. Yeah. Essentially, and that they want him to use his influence. Yeah. And even though he has no reason to go along with this at all, yeah, he's like, yeah, sure, I'll meet you. Basically, he's like, I didn't want to disappoint her. Yeah. Yeah. The character motivations in this story are completely like insane and off the wall. It's yeah. it's crazy. They don't make any sense. Back to the movie. Yeah. Let's, back to let's, the good one. Let's go back to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? I need like a palate cleanser after talking about this book for a minute. I know. Uh, So he does eventually go to his cousin who works for the Ark of the Arts to get yeah. this. Uh, transit papers. Transit papers. And... In this scene, we get a few things that are really cool. One thing is we kind of see how the higher ups live and we kind of just get an expanded view Mm -hmm. of what this kind of world is like. Yeah. It's just really interesting. Like there's kind of all this art that they're clearly like hoarding in one location so that when the earth is gone, no one will be able to see it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're trying to save art. Because the rest of the world is kind of falling into chaos. Yeah. And there's a comment made by his cousin, Nigel, where they they have the Michelangelo uh, David statue, yeah. I think. And he talks about trying to save another sculpture, but like a mob basically destroying it. Yeah. So they're just trying to like save the art from unstable, what they view as unstable countries mm-hmm. um, because they're like the last bastion of civilization. So they're like, we yeah. need to steal the art like we used to back when we were colonizing <laughs> the entire world. <laughs> but it's for good reasons this time. Uh, we also get the only piece of like future tech stuff yeah. that like has is really weird and out of place and it's just like his son is like has this weird wrist gizmo oh a wrist video game. spider yeah that he's just like <laughs> yeah ticking and twirling like at the dinner table and you're like what is he doing yeah <laughs> everything else related to like the future in this story is done very tastefully i think yeah there's this glaring absence of phones which i love yeah because 
Honestly, nothing dates a movie more than the computer and phone technology. Yes. But in this movie, they're never like you never see anyone making phone calls either on a landline or really on a cell phone. No. Um, and I think it kind of helps the movie because, oh, yeah. you know, so many like future movies. Mm hmm. When you watch them, you're like, wow, this is so dated. Like, yeah, immediately. But this one, it still feels so fresh and so relevant. And it's definitely due a lot to the absence of like future technology. Yeah. Basically, the only thing that has kind of advanced to like a future look are cars, which yeah. makes sense because those are constantly kind of updated. Mm -hmm. Some things like computer monitors yeah and then like ads like there's kind of like some moving tv ads like on buildings and stuff yeah but really that's about it and it makes sense too because this is a dystopian world so this isn't like a ideal future where no, it's like yeah. a technologically advanced civilization it's like oh no shit is fucked up like everything <laughs> is dirty everything is disgusting yeah you know there's police everywhere and so the last thing that anyone is thinking about really is this technology. People are just kind of getting by. And so it makes sense and it works really well. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's really helped it become timeless because this was yeah. back in 2006. Yeah. That this movie came out. So mm -hmm. can you imagine them getting out like a flip phone or something? You <laughs> yeah, know? Like exactly. that would feel weird. Yeah. So I think they had a lot of foresight to leave a lot of that stuff out. Yeah. And it, it, which is really good. Uh he gets the paperwork, mm -hmm. but unfortunately, he could only get um, dual transit papers, meaning yeah. he has to accompany this girl, yeah. which he'll only do for extra money. Mm -hmm. So he kind of gets roped further into this uh, situation, yeah. kind of willingly. It's not like a risky thing or anything. He's no. just doing it to get more money. Mm -hmm. So he meets with Julian, and they all get in a car. Uh, and to... he meets some new characters. Yes. He meets... Uh, Key, who is a young woman, the, the woman that they have the transit papers for. And then they meet this other woman, Miriam, um, who's traveling with her. And then um, they meet Luke, who is kind of like Julian's almost like right hand man with the yeah. Fishes Revolutionary Group. Mm -hmm. uh, this car scene. Yeah. Holy shit. It's so good. Um, I just watched a video by Cinefix who... Uh, any fans of this podcast know I love Cinefix's. They have uh, great videos. Yeah, they do a lot of great top 10 lists. Mm -hmm. And I watched a top 10 of best long takes mm -hmm. in movie history. And this was number one. Wow. Um, essentially, because it was like it was so innovative and in such a subtle way. Basically, it all takes place within this car. Yeah. And the camera just kind of like moves and swivels around inside of this car. In one take. In one take. One yeah. long take. So the car and the car is moving too. Yeah. It's actually moving through the location. It's not a green screen outside of the car. Really? Yeah. Wow. And so they had to create basically a car <laughs> with like a compartment on top mm -hmm. where the cinematographer and the director would sit. Wow. And then this arm that went through the ceiling of the car and had the camera and so the camera could move between them wow but because it was such a confined space that a lot of times the seats they had to like automatically fold down so the camera could move past them and then fold back up oh my god before like they were in frame wow so like when they're not in frame they're like moving and dodging the camera oh my god and then 
on the outside of this car, like there's a little go-kart driver <laughs> in the front of the vehicle yeah. that you can't see from like the view of the exterior uh-huh. and one in the back because they drive reverse for quite a ways. Yeah. So the actual vehicle, when you see it on the outside, is this ridiculous looking <laughs> piece of machinery. But like the way they do innovate so much to be able to film this scene in one take and kind of invent so much technology and ways of doing it that it's truly it works so well though it's it's remarkable you never really think about it that much yeah and a lot of people don't notice this scene as one take Mm -hmm. and not only that but like it's a scene that really changes as it goes oh yeah the tone is so different yeah um it starts out and key is kind of like She's not a teenager because we know that the youngest person is like 20. So she's like in her early 20s or something. Yeah. But she's acting kind of like a teenager, like not talking to them. (laughs) And then Theo kind of falls asleep. And when he wakes up, like there's some music playing and they also kind of start talking. So it starts out kind of tense. And then there's like this camaraderie that builds up. And Julian and Theo start kind of (laughs) reminiscing about like their old times together. This is where he is like, I thought you said he was suave (laughs) and Julian's like, Oh, he is like, he was like, you really feel that past connection with them. She (laughs) insists on, uh, how would you describe this? It's like a, uh, like a party trick where she puts a ping pong ball on her mouth and she she insists like she hasn't met anyone else who could do this with her. Yeah. And she spits it from her mouth into his. So he yeah. kind of like kind of like sucks it in. Yeah. And they kind of like spit it back. And then like they kind of like kiss, kiss? at yeah. one point to like transfer it. So it's this really great scene where like you're kind of seeing them at their peak flirtation again. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then during this scene, they see ahead of in they're kind of in the wooded area. Yeah. And you see this flaming car going down a hill towards them and suddenly like crashes and blocks their way yeah and immediately from the trees all these people flood and And swarm the car and attacking them Mm -hmm. and i thought it was interesting because like it's a dystopian future so i don't think you need much explanation that yeah you don't need to know really what's going on we already knew that there was a, a bombing in that cafe yeah you know um so we're not sure you know what's going on is this another terrorist organization is this just people who are like you know anarchists and are yeah. just like you know killing people in the woods and just have gone rogue just raiding people as they yeah. pass kind of like pirates almost yeah but so they're getting attacked and they have to reverse away uh-huh and while they're reversing away, a motorcycle drives up. Yeah. And the guy on the back of the motorcycle pulls out a shotgun mm-hmm. and shoots Julian through yeah. the windshield. Yeah. And Theo, in a really smart moment, like kicks his car door open and mm-hmm. like knocks the motorcycle down mm-hmm. so that like they're getting they can away. Get away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Julian was shot like in the neck basically and just kind of bleeds out in front of them and they can't do anything. Yeah. And this is all still one take. The camera has not cut once. Yeah. And it is just the highs and lows of what's going on. Then they pass police cars. Yeah. Who quickly turn around to follow them. Yeah. The police stop them. Yes. Luke gets out and then immediately shoots them. Yeah. And then it's like, we have to go. (laughs) And Theo's just like, what? What's happening? Why did you do that? Yeah. And so... This basically sets up how now they're like criminals on the run from the police. Yeah. Essentially. Mm-hmm. And they drive to a farmhouse to lay low. Yeah. And this is like a, a fish safe house. And uh, 
a fish safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a fish's safe house. Uh, Luke kind of says, um, since Julian is their leader and she's dead, we're gathering all the fishes to vote on a new leader and figure out what we're going to do. Um, so Theo's there, but he's kind of just like waiting so he can like leave. Yeah. Um, and while he's there, Key says that she wants to talk to him. And so he goes to meet her in the barn at this farmhouse and she like takes off her shirt and reveals to him that she's pregnant. Yeah. And this is kind of the game changing moment for Theo. He is just completely like dumbfounded that she's pregnant. Yeah. And And she tells him like, I need your help. Like you have to help me. Julian told me that if anything happened, that you were the only one I could trust. Like I need you in my corner. Like, please help me. And he's like, I can't, I can't help you. I, I'm not involved with any of this. And then he sees that she's pregnant and is just kind of realizing the magnitude of what's happening. Yeah. So now Theo's kind of like involved. Like he's in this meeting where they're deciding what to do with her. Like, should yeah. they still try to like get her across the border? Should they keep her at the farmhouse where she can give birth? Cause she's like eight months pregnant. She's close to yeah. uh, having to deliver. So he's kind of in these talks uh, but that night, he wakes up to the sound of there's another guy, a, a white guy with dreadlocks who yeah. <laughs> I only now found out looking at IMDb is played by Charlie Hunnam, yeah. who starred in Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. I never recognized him in this role because well, this has, would be early for him too. He, he just has these blonde dreadlocks. Yeah, and like you said, the early role for him. Yeah. So, but he rides in on this motorcycle that's all beaten up and. Theo kind of sneaks downstairs and he hears him talking to Luke. Yeah. And essentially pieces together that they or he was the guy on the motorcycle that shot Julian. Yeah. And this was all orchestrated by Luke to uh, take over as leader Mm -hmm. of the group. And also they're going to kill Theo. Yeah. (laughs) Because because Charlie Hunnam's character is like pissed that Theo like kicked his door open. And like I think his cousin who was also on the bike got hurt. So like Theo's like. Oh, they're going to shoot me. I got to get out of here. Oh, and not only that, they talk about killing Julian because Luke wanted power, but also so he could be in control of Key because they were going to bring Key to the human project and um, because they're the only people that could really protect her. But now Luke wants to keep her because then they can use her as a pawn against the government so they can overthrow the government because they have the first baby to be born. So basically just as a, a power. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how this miracle essentially that has happened in this in this world, like they're still thinking about how they can use it, it for like political gain yeah. and strategy. Mm-hmm. So essentially Theo wakes up key and Mirian, who's essentially she's like a, a nurse. She's a midwife. She's a midwife, and mm-hmm. which is why she's with Key to help her deliver the baby when yeah. it comes. He wakes up both of them and like convinces them they have to go because Luke has killed Julian and he's, you know, he explains everything. Mm-hmm. The escape scene in this is so great. It is. Because essentially Theo sneakily like disables all the cars except for the one they have to use. Yeah. But because it was stolen... They have to like jumpstart it and he doesn't realize. Yeah. 
So they have to push it down this like gradual muddy slope. Yeah. Uh, While all these guys like chase them on foot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Theo doesn't have any shoes on. No, he forgot to put shoes on before he (laughs) left. And it's just like the slowest chase scene ever. But it's like very tense and exciting. And they're pushing the car. Yeah. Trying to get it jump started. It has one of my favorite moments because Charlie Hunnam's character... Luke threatened him just a little bit ago. Yeah. About like he put a gun to his head. He's like, if you ever like disobey my orders again, I'll kill you. Uh huh. So Charlie Hunnam's character during this escape runs up beside the car and puts a gun to Theo. Yeah. But he still has to yell back to Luke. He's like, I've I've got a shot. Should I take it? <laughs> yeah. I've got a shot. Should I take it? Like while he's trying to get approval. Theo once again opens his car door, <laughs> smacks him, and knocks him like into a bale of hay. Uh, That's like Theo's one trick is just opening car doors yeah. and hitting Charlie Hunnam <laughs> whenever he's nearby. <laughs> but I just loved that that repeating, you know. Yeah. Uh there's a lot of moments in that in this movie like that where I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to think that's funny. But I do, and I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it is funny. <laughs> uh, but they manage to escape. Yeah, and they need a place to go. So Theo, Key, and Miriam, 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 <laughs> can go to the only place they know that's safe and secret, and has a lot of weed. Yes, Jasper's house, Jasper's place, Michael Caine slash John Lennon's house. <laughs> Yeah, so they go to his place and it's they're just kind of recovering and they tell Jasper the whole story and he finds out about Key and they're kind of figuring out what they're going to do because the human project, they can't contact them. They're like this mysterious organization yeah. and they can only meet them. They're going to be in two places. They can meet them that night or they can meet them two nights from now. And so they decide to meet them two nights from where they are now, um, but they have to get to this refugee camp in order to meet them there. So they're kind of like figuring out their plans and their next move. Yeah, they kind of have to like improvise and like the only way to get to this coastal area to meet them. Yeah. Like you said, is through something hill. Yeah. I forget what it's called, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, This scene, though, at, at, at Jasper's is so I love this part. There's a lot of kind of like Things that happen, like some exposition where you find out about more about Theo and his son Dylan and like him and Julian's past. And um, but it's just this like really warm spot in the movie. Yeah. Where it feels like a little home, just like that scene with Theo there with just Jasper, the two of them. Yeah. It's also very warm. It's a similar thing here where it's all these people being together and there's just this sense of community and they listen to music and they're just sitting around. It's just like this happy, creative type atmosphere. And I think that's something that sets this story off or apart from a lot of other movies like this, because it is very, in a lot of ways, very bleak. It is. uh, And very dark, but it really does a great job of uh, still setting up the <clears throat> the warmth and humanity and love that still exists in this world between people. Yeah. And you understand what people are fighting for. Because mm-hmm. I think in a lot of stories like this where it's like, oh, the end of the world and like everything sucks, but people are still going on. And you're kind of like, why? Yeah. But this is a movie where you genuinely feel what people are fighting for and wanting to like save in mm-hmm. humanity. Yeah. And I think this is another a great scene and moment in the movie that really gives us that. Yeah. Uh, Jasper has a plan to use a guy he knows to 
break them in to Brex Hill, yeah. the refugee camp. You thought of it. I did. I think that's it. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I say that very hesitantly. It's something like that. Or it's just Bex Hill. Yeah. Uh, but before they can uh, get prepared to take off, the uh, fishes show up. Yeah. And so they obviously tracked down um, Jasper's place and they knew that um, Theo would go there. Interesting. I read this earlier. One of the fishes whose name is Ian um, <laughs> early in the movie when uh, Theo's on the train to see Jasper and meet him. Uh-huh. Ian's in the background. Oh, tracking him, tracking him. So that makes sense why he might have tracked them all the way to Jasper's place in that first part. Yeah. Or maybe he just knew Jasper and saw them talk. But like it explains why they knew where he lived. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. There was a line they said too, like he was here something weeks ago or something. We know he was here or something. Oh, was there? I didn't catch that. Um, but so, uh, Jasper tells them, he kind of like packs them up and tells them where to go to meet this guy yeah. to break them into the refugee camp. And he insists that he'll stay and, uh, send them on the wrong direction. Yeah. And you can tell it's this moment where Theo's like, no, no, you you know, and Jasper's very reassuring, like, oh, it's fine. Like, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we get one of the only scenes in the movie that Theo isn't present for. Yeah. Where Jasper goes back inside his house and he has quietus with him, that suicidal drug. Yeah. And he sits down with his wife. Mm hmm. Uh, and the, it's it, so sad. It, it, They're playing so sad music, sad. and he's just telling her that he loves her. Uh, he's so sweet. He's I such know. a great, gentle, kind person and character. Yeah. Um, and then when the fishes do show up, Theo kind of like is able to watch what happens. Yeah. And of course, they 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 say, "Oh, there's just a dead woman and a dead dog inside." Yeah. He killed the dog too. Well, and I was thinking about it, and I'm like. The reason that he gave them the suicide pills was because he didn't want them to be tortured. Yeah. Because he thought maybe that they would torture them to get him to talk. Maybe. And you know what? I bet he only had two doses. Probably. So he used one for the dog and one for his wife. Yeah. Is my theory, maybe. That would make sense. And, like, that makes sense, too, why he would just like let himself be killed. you know what I yeah. mean? Cause he probably knew that they, they were going to kill them all and he didn't want his dog or his wife to suffer <laughs> or for them to be tortured in front of him, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but so of course they, they, they kill Jasper. Yeah. And this is just so shocking for Theo. There, we, we didn't mention it, but there was another scene earlier where after Julian was killed, yeah. Theo was in the woods and was just, just kind weeping. of like weeping and like really, struck by that death and clive owen in this he's movie he's so good he's so good yeah he's so good yeah and this is another scene where he's just like he's more angry in this moment mm-hmm. but like he's just kind of like losing everything every person that he cares about yeah like they're and they're all like sacrificing themselves for this mission yeah and he's kind of losing everything and it's just really kind of heartbreaking but they eventually they go to this it's kind of cool. It's an abandoned school, like yeah. elementary school. Mm-hmm. So Sid shows up. Yeah. Who's this really odd. Refers to himself in the third person. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's so you could distinguish him from like the other guards maybe because they yeah. all dress the same. Yeah. But essentially uh, they pay him off and he drives them to the refugee camp where they're going to meet to just kind of throw them in there. Yeah. And he tells them like, there's a woman there who will like give you room and board. Cause like Jasper kind of set this whole thing up. Yeah. Let's 
where we're going to go back to the book. Let's get back to the Ugh, book. Let's okay. just do it, babe. I'm let's, riding let's high. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's just jump into it. Uh, so Theo meets the fishes, and they're basically like, there's only five of them. They're called the five fishes in this, and there's only five people. Mm-hmm. Instead of being this like well-organized, big revolutionary group, they're just five people who are like, meh. <laughs> and they're clear yeah <laughs> we think the government should be run this way yeah and like Thea really like picks apart like he's doing it for power she's doing it for like the glory she's yeah. doing it like he can kind of see through their like reasoning their motivations uh but essentially he once again for some freaking reason agrees to like go with their ideas yeah they want him to talk to his cousin zan the dictator of england they're like just talk to him and be like stop doing all these shitty things and that will solve stuff (laughs) and yeah and the one thing is like okay uh refugees and people who are charged with crimes are treated really shitty it's like okay Yeah. yeah all right yeah and then they're like stop sperm testing it's degrading yeah also why do we have porn chops like, these are not on the same level. Yeah. <laughs> you had a really good start. Yeah, like, the hierarchy of demands is, the, I, I don't understand. But he, like, he, he says he'll go to a quietus, which in the book is very different from the quietus in the movie. It's like a mass suicide where the old people just get drowned. Yeah. And supposedly they volunteer for it, but Theo goes to it. And there's this whole scene where this woman, like, tries to jump off the boat because she doesn't want to be killed. And then they basically, like, beat her until she drowns. Uh, You know, just... Quietus. (laughs) Yeah, just a quiet drowning. Um, And then Theo spends one night in a and b and then is like, okay, I'll talk to my cousin. And, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. It's, oh, my God. Uh, he goes and talks to Zan. Mm-hmm. They have a whole discussion on it. And of it. course they're all like, yeah, no. <laughs> and like Zan, it, it's interesting because like Zan brings up a lot of good points, like especially about the porn shops. Yeah. He's like, well, in case there is he's like people don't want to have sex anymore because they don't think there's like a point. Yeah. Or like people are discouraged. I don't know. He's like, so we started porn shops to get people in the mood. And it's like, okay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, sure. I'm behind that. They're like, we're sperm testing because just in case, like, it turns out that people can have kids again. Like, we need to know. I'm like, okay, makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, they're being shitty about it. Like, they're not testing certain people because they don't want to reproduce that person. But like, it's not like the worst. Like, it just seems like the fish's demands aren't like. Given the state of the world, yeah. it doesn't feel like they're the most significant thing. No, it feels like something from children. And I feel like the five fishes in the book are kind of compared to children a lot. Hmm. Especially um, Julian and Luke, who is not related to the character Luke in the movie. He's like oh a God. priest in the book. They're both described as being like very spiritual and very childlike also. And Rolf, who is Julian's husband in the book and like the leader of the five fishes, is clearly just power hungry. And so yeah. they're kind of like all of them are sort of um, just treated by Theo, like immature, like they're immature and like silly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is kind of, this kind of annoys me a little. It doesn't really, but it almost annoys me in adaptations like this one, where they take they create what is essentially an entirely new character. Yeah, and then they're like, well, we might as well give him a name from the book, 
even though it shares nothing in common. I know, it's confusing for all of us. I know, especially for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's confusing for me and Ian, and most importantly. <laughs> like, so they're like, yeah, so like, let's call this character Luke in the movie, even though he's like a revolutionary and kind of one of the main villains of the story, and Luke in the book was like a priest? Yeah. Um. So... I just want to like instead of referring to him like as book Luke, I just want to call him Bluke and <laughs> Bluke. like call her like Boolean, like just <laughs> rename all of them. So there's no confusion. But yeah, <laughs> uh, what happens next? Uh, oh, Theo goes on vacation for six oh, months. Yeah. And he's conveniently like, bye. And then his diary picks up six months later and he's like, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. And. He is back now, and then Miriam comes to his house and is basically like, Julian needs you. We're yeah. in trouble. Like, we're on the run. They kidnapped one of the five fishes. They got him. The one that no one cared about. I was say, <laughs> you know, old what's his name? When they said his name, I was like, wait, which guy is this? And I yeah. could not remember. No. So it clearly didn't matter. No. Uh, so, and then Theo's just like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll go along with this. Yeah. I'm like, why? He's like, Julian needs me. Like, what the fuck is going on? Why are you doing any of this, yeah, Theo? Again, motivations for characters not making any sense. He just wants to get his D wet. He does. He goes to meet Julian, and she reveals to him that she is pregnant. She is pregante. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he is like, of course, completely shocked and uh, believes her husband, Rolf, to be the father and kind of agrees to help them escape he wants them to go to Zan and like tell him and like he's like they could you know protect you and you would you know have medical attention but Julian's like no I want to have my baby like in the wild and I don't want Zan to have my baby because he's evil and so Theo's like cool let's just drive into the wilderness my favorite part of their whole argument against this is just that like Zan will want to be there all the time. Yeah. They're like, he'll be there when I give birth and then he'll just be around. He'll just be like staring at me <laughs> like She's, all the time. It's just like he'll just be there kind of just hovering in the background <laughs> all the time if, if if we let him know I'm pregnant. Once you let Zan in the, in the house, he doesn't ever leave. You can't get him out. <laughs> um, so they kind of take off. Uh, there is a similar encounter with a group of people attacking them in the car, except they're called Omegas because they were the youngest generation of people born. Yeah. And for some reason, they're like, let's just be a Mad Max style. Yes. This like, is literally like Mad warrior. Max. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. They've got masks and like yeah. they attack people. And for some reason, they were like dancing. And Theo's like, I know. We have to engage them in dance. And it actually works. Yeah. Like Theo dances with them. I don't and know. It, this book, I, I got to tell you, this book is fucking Well, he's like, wild. I remember one time someone told me that the Painted Faces, which is what this band of wild omegas are called, um, they only kill one person. So if we all dance with them, maybe one of us can get away and then Julian and Rolf can like flee because they're the ones we need to protect. Like they have the baby. We need to protect them. It's his magic sperm. Yeah. Because it's this. I don't know if we said this. It's, I don't think so. It's in the book, uh, specifically the men who are infertile. Yeah. Like their sperm just aren't doing their job. Yeah. They're not swimming. And Rolf is like, it's my sperm. <laughs> <laughs> my magic dick. And he's like this. 
qualifies me to be ruler of England. Yeah, mad uh, with power. Yeah. So this whole scene, they start to escape, and Luke, while saving Julian, uh, ends up being the one who is killed. Yeah. They club him to death. Yeah. And the rest of them, like, run away as this is happening. Yes. And it's only revealed, like, <laughs> it's revealed, like, immediately. Immediately. After they've escaped, where Julian's like, yeah, um... Luke was actually the father of my baby. Not you, Rolf. Not you, Rolf. And I'm like, are you shitting me? Like, are you shitting me? Like, we don't need to protect Julian. We need to protect Luke because he's the one with the magic sperm. He's got the magic balls. Like, if we are actually concerned about the fate of humanity, like, we would... Julian would have told someone way ahead of time because she's not important. He can get, like... fuck ton of other women pregnant it doesn't matter <laughs> like <laughs> yeah instead she doesn't tell anyone and then let let's luke kill himself and now humanity's last hope for sperm has been clubbed to death <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's and so dumb it's so absurd i was so frustrated with this it was it's so funny because it's right after he gets beaten to death. Yeah. That this is discussed. She's like, yeah, he was the he was the baby daddy. Yeah. Um, Rolf is so upset that after like grinding against a tree yeah. for like five minutes and like chafing his face and balls. He takes off. He leaves. And they kind of figure that he's going to go tell Zan, the warden, about Julian and kind of use it to his own advantage to betray them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like, well, we got to go. <laughs> We're just going to we're going to push through and just wrap up the story here. Yeah, because the book actually doesn't have a lot that happens. Not much happens after Rolf leaves. They need a new vehicle. So there's this whole expedition. It's so long where Theo finds an old couple in their house, an innocent elderly couple watching a television program in the comfort of their own home and then Theo holds them up at gunpoint, ties them to a bed, and steals their shit. But after he like let, unties them and lets them use the bathroom one more time, it's and it's so like so dramatic. It's very dramatic and sad and just unnecessary. And but he he takes their car and leaves them tied up because he, he for some reason he's like assured that they'll be found. Yeah. So he gets the car and he drives it back only to later hear on the radio that the old lady died. Yeah. So he like feels super guilty about that. Um, He's like, not only did I kill my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I've covered a large age range of murder now. Yeah. (laughs) From like two to like 90. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He picks up Miriam and Julian. The only three, there's only three of them left now. And they just drive to, he's like, oh, I know. There's this random cottage or like woodshed that I know about in the woods. Let's drive there. Just for clarification, I listened to this book on audiobook, and at this point, I had sped it up to like one and a <laughs> you half. You were listening to it so fast. I had it sped up to like one and a half times as fast as it normally is, so it was just like very rapid. <laughs> and I'm like, just give me, give me the key points. Like I just want, I'm like picking up like words. I just need the deets. Yeah. <laughs> they go to this cottage, uh, Boolean pushes the baby out of her. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole birth scene. She's just. Around this time, too, like, Theo is like, I'm in love with her. It's disgusting. And Julian is like, loves him, but she never says it. And so they start calling each other darling, and I just wanted to vomit. He's twice her age. Also, 
Boolean. <laughs> she um, had a husband. Then yeah. uh, she cheated on her husband with a priest. Yeah. Who she didn't even love. And now she loves Theo. Yeah. But she's still depicted as this like very like warm and just beautiful person who like appreciates like beauty and nature. Yeah. And just has no character at all. She's very shallow. Uh, the most important aspect of her is her faith in God. And it's something that Theo kind of mocks about her because he's like very disillusioned. But she's presented as almost this saint. You know, she has this pure faith. She's very childlike and innocent in many ways. She just kind of like expects things to work out for her and like work out with God as well. And she's just like almost like the Virgin Mary. Like, yeah. And I feel like the author put in the bit about her, like having this baby through an affair to like make her more interesting, but like, it doesn't really fit with her character. No, because she acts like a goody goody the rest of the whole fucking book. And it's so boring. (laughs) Is like having a, is having an affair with a priest like better or worse? <laughs> like, is it worse because you're like corrupting a priest or is it like better because he's like more of a pure p- person? I don't know. I'm not sure either, but. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like their relationship. It's really weird to me. No. Um, then Miriam is killed. <laughs> yeah. They have the baby and then Miriam's like, I'm going to go find food. And then she gets strangled by the government? Yeah. <laughs> I think by Zan. Like him specifically? I think so. I guess he was like the only one in the woods later. Yeah. How weird. I know. And like Theo just finds her strangled, but like no one captures him. No. I don't. This whole end part is so weird. I It really feels like this book was just being figured out as it went. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the whole vacation time that he went on was clearly like, well, if a setup, if Julian gets pregnant, I'm sorry, if Bullion gets pregnant, <laughs> uh, then there needs to be an amount of time before w- she can have the baby. Yeah. And also like the fishes were this like political activist revolutionary group. Yeah. And then she just happened to be. The one that gets pregnant pregnant? out of everyone in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's so many like weird conveniences and just things that don't make sense or aren't explained at all. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of things that are weird and don't get explained, Zan shows up in the woods. Yeah. Just him. Yeah. He has a confrontation with Theo. Where he's basically like, you know, let me handle Julian like I'll protect her and we can like form a new world like you can be at my side like you used to be and Theo's like no let's have like a gun off (laughs) yeah I have a gun you have a gun let's shoot at each other yeah also like that's not really a temptation for Theo because like he was kind of involved in politics before but like didn't care enough to like stay with it yeah like how was this a temptation for him I don't know he shoots Zan and kills him. Yeah. And then he takes Zan's like ring of power. like <laughs> The ring of power. Yes, the, the one ring. The one ring. <laughs> uh, that he wears as Warden of England and he puts it on. And I swear to God, after he puts that on, the he's other people. Evil. Like, yeah, he starts to like become corrupted with the power and the other people who are around like treat him like the Warden of England. Yeah, they're like, oh, you have the ring. So, yeah, we have to listen to you now. I'm like, no, you don't. You can just shoot him. Yeah. Like, there's guards that come out, and they're all like, okay, sure. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. I know. And then Theo's immediately like, okay, I guess I'm in charge now. Hmm. I'll fix things. But you know what? Actually, 
I probably shouldn't fix those things. Like he's immediately like, oh, well, I'm not really going to do anything good with this power. (laughs) The way he immediately acquired power was hilarious. It was so absurd. And then he's immediately like, hmm. And that's the end. It makes me think of that Rick and Morty episode where they go to the purge planet. Oh, yeah. And then after fixing it and leave, like in five minutes in their argument, they re- they reestablish the purge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, that that's the end of the book. Yeah. Let's get back to the thing we like, the movie. So as we're getting back to the movie, and this is the part where Theo, Miriam, and Key are all heading into the refugee camp. I really just want to briefly mention the role of refugee and immigrants in the movie and how important that is to the story. And you can just see the compassion that the director and the writers have for this topic, because in the, the England at this point in time, they're not letting any refugees come into England and they're deporting them and they're just treating them like slaves. They're treating them like animals. It's, it's like really horrible. And the imagery really evokes like images of the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, in terms of people being caged, people being shot, people being like, you know, just brutally treated. And it's just so sad and it's so relevant to now. Yeah. Because yeah. of the way that refugees have been treated, you know, back when this movie was made and now. And the, just the lack of sympathy. And, you know, these people you know, need somewhere to go and they have nowhere and they're being treated so terribly and they're being, you know, put in these camps and it's just awful. And Key herself is a refugee. Yeah. She's an African woman. Mm -hmm. And I think Alfonso Cuaron was trying to make this message that, you know, from the least of these comes like what's supposed to be this miracle. You know what I mean? That by rejecting these people, you were rejecting the future. You know, he creates a much better like comparison to uh, the the story of Jesus. They were really refugees. Yeah. Even though his book, even though the movie is like less Christian than the book, he actually creates a better parable for that. Yeah. Which I think is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And Alfonso Cuaron is Mexican. Yeah. uh, So I'm sure that, you know, as I'm not sure like if he's a legal citizen of the U.S. or anywhere else, but I mean, clearly the plight of refugees is important to him. Yeah, obviously. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, yeah, I think he treats this topic so relevantly and so much more importantly than the book does. It does. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at this point on the bus that Miriam is like take Taken dragged away. off the bus mm-hmm. and we get this like really sad shot of like she's dragged off and put a hood on. And as the bus goes, we see those hooded people are then stripped down mm-hmm. and then, then we see a row of bodies. Yeah. So just kind of like showing that like, it doesn't look good for her, obviously. Yeah. Um, it, it's very effective. Um, so they get into the concentration camp. Mm-hmm. I'm, well, <laughs> Basically it's a refugee <laughs> it is, camp. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, clearly this is relevant. Uh, they get to the refugee camp and they meet the woman who. Marichka. Marichka. Yeah. Who is. I'm not sure what nationality, like like Eastern European of some kind. She doesn't speak English, Mm -hmm. but she takes them to a uh, like a house, like a like a a, room, a room for them to stay at. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Key has gone into labor. Yeah, she's having labor pains. And now the midwife is gone. Yeah. And it's just Theo. Theo has to deliver the baby and he does a great job. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Yeah, it's it's an emotional and tense scene, but it's not like overly dramatic you no. know it's just like 
you know, this human moment and they're doing the best they can together. And he's like so supportive and encouraging of her, even yeah. though he like probably doesn't really know what to do yeah. in that situation. Um, fun fact, the baby that comes out uh, was like, it was a whole thing with like a doll and everything, but the baby's actually CGI. Yeah. And it still looks pretty good. I mean, you know, it's not a real baby, but it doesn't look that bad. It's not distracting. Yeah. For a movie in 2006. Yeah. It's done pretty well. Mm-hmm. This was like the golden age of bad CGI. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that might've been like the early 2000s, but yeah. it still for sure could have been really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so they give birth the next morning. Uh, Sid, the security guy, shows up mm-hmm. who got them in, and essentially he tries luring them out. He tells them he kind of quickly tells them a hole was blown in the fence, and people are the fishes are flooding in, yeah, and this revolution riot is starting, and they're gonna bomb the refugee camp, yeah. And he acts like shit he, is going down, yeah, shit's gone gone down like in twenty four hours, and he acts like he's gonna get them out to help them, but really he just wants. The reward that for turning been, them in. for turning them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get one of my favorite moments in this whole movie, yeah. <laughs> where Theo manages to start struggling with him with the gun, yeah. And during this struggle, Marichka, Marichka comes screaming at them with like a cha- like a table leg, yeah, and just starts, starts beating the beating shit out of Sid. him. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those moments where I'm like, I don't think this is supposed to be funny, but it is, but in the best way. Yeah, because until this point, Marichka was kind of depicted as kind of this odd, like uh, Eastern European woman who like is just. Yeah. Kind of in the way. Mm-hmm. But then she's suddenly like a badass and is like trying to save them. Yeah. She finds out about the baby and she's like, no, fuck no. I'm going to protect these guys now. Yeah. And yeah. she becomes like a hero and it's so great. It is. And they almost get to the boat that they need to get to. Yes. And then they're captured by the fishes and by Luke specifically. Mm-hmm. And he grabs Key and they're just about to shoot Theo when basically riots and fighting between soldiers and the refugees and the fishes breaks out and basically all hell breaks loose. I loved this moment of like, it was just pure luck that saved Theo. Yeah. You know? And mm-hmm. I mean, that's how like this sequence coming up feels. Yeah. Because they end up going into he he sees Luke and Key with the baby go into this like kind of abandoned apartment complex during this battle. Yeah. And he's trying to follow them. And I mean, there's just gunfire everywhere, bombs going off. And he's just running through like this mess of people. It's trying like amazing. To hide. He's not shot. People are yeah. being killed left and right. And it's all done in it's not actually one shot, mm-hmm. but it's edited together very convincingly. And I mean, they are long takes, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard, I read it took like 14 days of planning. Oh my God. And like rehearsal. And then each to time. To choreograph this? I can't even imagine. And then each time they needed to reshoot it, it took hours of like setting things up like, again. Because like bombs are going off, like bullets are flying, people are screaming. Like there's so much happening. In fact, in the shot they used, they almost, Alfonso Cuaron almost said cut because a blood spurt oh, of yeah. someone being shot got on the camera. I, yeah, I noticed that. And he almost shouted cut, but like he did it and it ended up being in the movie. And it's kind of cool because like he specifically filmed this to look and feel like a documentary. Yeah. And to or make like it real. Yeah. To type, like yeah. ground it in reality. And so that makes it almost feel 
more real in that way is like like it is being documented yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and which is a a very good reasoning for the long takes in this movie like not overly cutting it yeah if need be like he's able to like follow it in one take um it's just amazing it's it's and i love because it's like it's exciting it is exciting but it's not exploiting the horror of what's going on no it really takes time to show and, and the camera also does this interesting thing in this movie where like it will pan away from like Theo or the main point of action yeah. to something else just going on entirely. Like one part, like it's just this mother weeping for her dead son. Yeah. Where it just pans away to that. And it just, I don't know. It just takes its time to show you the environment and show that Theo isn't really the center mm-hmm. of anything. That everyone is caught up in this. Yeah. There's a really good video by nerd writer. I want to post on our Patreon that it talks about this specific thing, how the background of children of men is very interesting. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'll post that on our Patreon for, for everyone. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just remarkable though. This whole sequence, he gets into the hotel. Yeah. He manages to find key key and the baby and the baby and Luke. Mm-hmm. And they kind of have this confrontation. Yeah. Where he's trying to get key out of there. Yeah. And it kind of just telling Luke, like you have to let her go basically. And they, they eventually do get away. Um, and then they have to get out of the building, but then people hear the baby crying mm-hmm. and all of a sudden everyone kind of like stops and realizes what's happening. It's one of the most, this movie, I think it's one of the most effective things about it is it is such a big story and such a big movie, Yeah, but it's told so well and it's told from such a personal way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And this is one of those moments where it's like. Imagine, you know, never hearing the sound of a baby's cry for 20 years and then all of a sudden you hear it and instantly like the emotions that you feel, you know, and all these people around her, even in the middle of this war zone are like weeping, you know, they're kneeling, they're like praying because this is a miracle. Yeah. And it so easily just could have been like cheesy, super cheesy. Yeah. But it just rides that line so well. And I, the thing that I love is, like, they get the whole way out of the building with everyone. And even the soldiers letting them pass. Yeah, everyone just stops and, like, they're not trying to detain them. They're not trying to do anything. They're just kind of in awe. Yeah. But then, just as they're out of range, someone, like, shoots a bomb, a bomb uh, at the military and things erupt again. Yeah. So it's like... Not even this miracle is enough to stop, no. like, the horrors of war. Like, we clearly see its power, but also it's not like, this is the solution to everything. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really a smart way of handling that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, they eventually do get reunited with uh, Marichka, and she leads them to a boat, and then, like, sees them off. She won't go with them. Yeah. It's it's another tender moment of someone, like, giving their life and another sacrifice. kindness to this uh, to this baby. And so Theo rows them out into the ocean because they're going to meet the human project ship out there. And it's really sweet. Like they're kind of, you know, rowing away and they're like, I don't know if the, the boat is going to come. Mm-hmm. And then um, Theo is coaching Key on how to burp her baby. And the, yeah. And this is after we've discovered that Theo was shot. Yeah. He got shot by Luke on their escape and he's mm-hmm. bleeding out in the boat. Yeah. And so it's like even more touching that she is like very concerned and he's like in his like last moments is like showing her how to burp the child. Yeah. And it's just so 
so and this is what like it's such a personable like character driven moment yeah that's so sweet and touching mm-hmm. and then key after he teaches her that she tells him I'm, i want to call my baby dylan yeah which was the name of his son who died mm-hmm. and oh my god it's so touching it is she's like it can be a girl's name too i'm gonna name her dylan <sighs> and the music the score i know in and this then moment theo either loses consciousness or dies depending on what you interpret just as the ship from the human project is approaching yeah and there to pick up key and the baby and that's how it ends that's how it ends the, i i also love though too as the credits start we hear the sound of children yeah which is just like ah uh, like you don't need like a oh 20 years in the future no moment. no but it's just like that hope that bit of hope and then it kicks into john lennon's song free the people mm-hmm. which i hear some people don't like this ending song choice. Yeah. I love it though. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like more upbeat. It's like a revolutionary song. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like a protest song mm-hmm. and doesn't it have like some weird title? It's like, Oh yeah. Free the people I think is like the subtitle, sub, the subtitle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I forgot about that, but it, it, I don't know. I think it's an incredibly smart song choice at the end that just really leaves you with like, a hopeful feeling. It is. It it's hopeful without being like overly in your face about what's going to happen. You no. know, it is open to interpretation. Like Theo could be alive. In my mind, I think he's dead. I think so but, too. But um depending on what you think, like he could survive this, you know? Um and we don't know what the future holds for Key and her baby, but there is that sense of hope. Yeah, and I, I read that Alfonso Cuarón wanted to finish this movie as if like this is the this is the beginning of the story. Yeah. He really wanted to finish it with like this is the start of something. This could be something new. Yeah, which I think is very effective. I think you do get that sensation. Yeah. Especially with the sound of children right following this ending. So Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's it. Adina. This movie. Yeah. Also just like the arc of Theo. Mm-hmm. Like Theo's arc from kind of just disillusioned human to like Giving his life. Yeah, to like becoming a self-sacrificing person that he used to be. Yeah. Is just, and like, he's doing it for Key, even though he has no romantic interest in her. No sexual interest in her at all, and I love it. I love it too. (laughs) I love it so much. Yeah, and there's a comment that Jasper made that like, his son would have been your age. mm. So I think he does see her kind of like as a daughter, but not even just that, just that he cares for her, you know? Yeah, and... You know, character arcs are hard. I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I think they're kind of taken for granted where it's like, yeah. And then, of course, he would, you know, do this, do this thing. But like, I don't know. I think this movie just takes so much time to show like what he's lost, what he's willing to gain, who he was. Yeah. That I it just. Whereas in the book, everyone that died wasn't really related or affected Theo in any way. No. They they weren't personal connections. And so when people died, it didn't mean anything. And Theo didn't really change. Whereas in the movie, all this is very personal. And he's going on this very intense personal journey. And it really felt earned. It did. I also read an interesting fact that the whole movie, Theo doesn't use or even touch a gun. Wow. 
the entire time. That's amazing. It is. Although he did kind of bash Sid's head in with like oh, a yeah. cinder block. <laughs> <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> he was responsible for at least one murder, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> but besides that. He used the car doors pretty well. <laughs> he did. He was like a master of car doors. <laughs> Ian. Which one is better? Oh man, Adina, I gotta, I gotta think on you this. Guys, why don't you go first? You guys, this book is so bad. I do not know why people like it. And you know what? If you like it, I'm sorry, and I respect your opinion. That's fine. But I, and maybe it's because I saw the movie first and I lo- liked it so much. But I just cannot even tell you more. There was no aspect, uh, legitimately, no aspect of this story that I genuinely liked. And once again, I'm going to bring this up. When something is boring, it is literally the worst crime. You know what I mean? (laughs) If a movie is boring, if a book is boring, like I just, I feel like I'm wasting my time. And I felt that way with this book. It was kind of a chore to get through. Oh, it really was. Everyone was unlikable in it. It wasn't, thought out very well like no. nothing was explained i didn't think any of the metaphors not a hopeful ending either no the ending felt weird none of the metaphors landed i it was just a complete miss and like somehow adina from this story yeah they created the movie children of men i know yeah this is a prime example of the movie being better than a book i think oh my god in yeah. every way yeah it just it, it does everything the book attempted to do well and then added like 20 other layers of character yeah. and plot. Yeah, it's like, let's fix all these characters. And world building. <laughs> yeah. 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 All the women are great in it. You know, like Alfonso Cuaron does a great oh, yeah. job with female characters. Oh, yeah. The, the woman that wrote this was very, I don't know, it was very misogynistic. I did not like the portrayals of women in this. Not at all. Like, yeah. it's so weird because like, even though it was written by a woman, it fell into so many of the bad tropes. Yeah, and I don't know if it was just because it's like Theo's perspective, and Theo is a very traditional, misogynistic, egotistical man. But I was like, this is too much. Yeah, it fell into so many of the tropes that like those sci-fi books of the sixties. I know that we're always into. talking about. I know. <laughs> God, I think I had a break from those. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's safe to say it's movie for both of us. It is movie. All right, let's do lightning round. Lightning round. All right, so first up for lightning round. In the movie, Key has a couple potential baby names that she throws around <laughs> before finally set- settling on Dylan at the end. At first, she wants to name the baby Froly <laughs> when she thinks it's going to be a boy. Uh, and then after the baby is born and she realizes it's a girl, she tells Theo that she wants to name it Bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> so first Froly, then Bazooka, ultimately settling on Dylan. <laughs> yeah. I think it was a good and, choice. And Theo's just like, oh, God, like to every name. It's yeah. so funny. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to read this little part because... I just did not think this book was well written at all. And it's super cheesy and grandiose. And there's this one scene of dialogue right near the end between Julian and Theo. And Julian says, they won't try to separate us, will they? Uh, Theo says, nothing and no one will separate us. Not life nor death, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything that is of the heavens, nor anything that is of the earth. So dumb. That's a line. He's so pretentious. I Can know. Can you imagine saying that out loud to someone? He's like, I went to Oxford. <laughs> Jesus Christ, spare us. Yeah. Okay, so another book part. 
Uh, when Theo and his wife, his ex-wife, not like the cool ex-wife, like just the boring one (laughs) in the book, they get divorced. She gets to keep the cat, but then she invites him over because the cat gave birth and it's like a whole ceremony thing because people can't have babies anymore. So they all have cats and are like the, the birth of the kittens. (laughs) It's this really weird scene. And then like at a later point, she's like, the cat is recovering well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. Uh, speaking of animals, the movie actually does feature animals very prominently. I read that, like, there's almost an animal, like, in every shot of this movie. Yeah. Uh, and in addition to that, animals are, like, attracted to Theo. Oh, yeah. Like, animals really like Theo in the movie, which I, I think is really cool. Like, I think it's kind of, like, showing that, like, he's... He's a good person. Like, they're, yeah, they're, like, drawn to him because they like him as a good person. Uh, but, like, at one point, like, this kitten is, like, Aww. clawing up his pant leg. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. Or, like, the, these dogs at the farmhouse are, like, chasing him following like, him Keep around. following him. Even during the chase scene. Yeah. When they're going down the hill, the dogs are, like, sprinting they're after like, him. up. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought that was a really fun, unique little detail added to the movie. Yeah. All right, that's it for lightning round. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It was amazing to get to talk about one of Ian's favorite movies. Uh, Super it was so excited. Good. Not his favorite book. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> Maybe my least favorite book. <laughs> if you'd like to tell us your thoughts about this episode or anything else, you can find us on Facebook or at uh, Twitter at Cover to Credits with the number two. Um, and then you can email us at Cover to Credits pod at gmail.com. We're also on Patreon. We love our patrons and we appreciate uh, the the money they provide for us for hosting fees and yes. just other expenses that we run into for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like to post additional content for them occasionally, like a bonus episode. We did a recap of our 2018 episodes for mm-hmm. them. So if you're a fan of the podcast and would like some additional content, consider becoming a patron. If you cannot, we still love you, and (laughs) we would advise that if you're on a platform such as Apple Podcasts, where you can leave a review, that is extremely appreciated. Uh, The reviews just uh, help get the podcast out there more and make us more visible to people, Mm -hmm. so... And please let us know if you have any suggestions for future episodes. We love doing um, user recommendations. We love to hear which ones you guys would like us to do, Um, so... Hit us up. Let us know. Saves us the trouble of picking ones ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for listening. Next episode, we will be discussing one of Adina's favorite books and movies. Yeah. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah. yeah. I'll finally get to read it. And we're the David Fincher film, by the way. Yes. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you next episode. Bye.